give the Lord a hand this morning. Amen. 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 You can be seated. <clears throat> you know, one of the best parts of being a pastor. Thank you, ma'am. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. One of the best parts about being a pastor is you're expected to be on the front row. And that is one of my favorite songs because I can literally just like look right into that speaker and sing as loud as I want and nobody can hear me. It's like being in the shower. How many of you are amazing vocal artists in the shower? Can I get an amen, right? I'm amazing. I'm incredible in the shower. I step out and the magic is lost somehow. I do not know. But yes, uh, love that song. Great job. Worship team, thank you so much. And uh, that is one of the best parts about being here. You're just able to lift your voice. And, uh, you know, I could lift my voice like that from the, from the living room couch, but Shelly probably would not quite enjoy it the same way. All right, kids, you can be dismissed back to your classes. Uh, maybe the kids have already left. Maybe they haven't. I'm not sure. Teens are still in here. Some of the kids, you guys can go ahead and be dismissed. All right. Well, we are coming to the end, not today, not next week, but a couple weeks from now, we're coming to the end of our Esther sermon series, and I don't know if it's been a blessing to you, if it's half as much a blessing to you as it's been to me. I just love looking at the Bible characters and their lives and just the things that God was able to do and accomplish in their lives. And so I love this passage of scripture from Esther, the entire book. And today I was kind of in this weird spot where I kind of felt like I could go combine two chapters versus just go on one, and I've decided I'm just going to do the one. Next week, we'll do the second. That way, it's not too much ground to cover, and we shortchange the, the, the passages of Scripture that have so much to teach us. But Esther is such a blessing, and I want to go back and encourage you one more time. You can look for the Great Lives from God's Word sermon series by Chuck Swindoll. Uh, he has an entire book that is a huge blessing. Or if you want to, you can just simply go back and read the 10 chapters in Esther. It is a quick read, and it is really, truly an amazing story, almost just like a, a movie script. Where have we been? So far, we have been in these places. We've talked about God's unseen providence, her strength and dignity, the connected and courageous father, and then Haman's hatred and the pride and prejudice that he had was one that Eric took care of for us. And then last week, I talked about you for such a time as this. And then today, we're going to talk about how Esther acts with divine dependence. And then you can see we've got two more uh, different uh, stories to share with you uh, in this particular story. So these are the places that we've been. But I want to start off a little different today, maybe, than I normally do. Normally, this is right where I get straight into the word and straight into the story of Esther. But I want to take just a minute, and I'm going to throw up a picture, and this is the picture, okay? Now, nobody say anything just quite yet, but on the count of three, I want you guys to say what this is, okay? You ready? On the count of three, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. This is a... It's a waiting room. That's right. How many of you have ever been stuck in a waiting room? Can I see your hands? I'm going to pray for you and all the things that you said under your breath, all right? Because I, as your pastor, need to absolve you of these things because I know all of us who have been stuck in a waiting room, we hated it. Is there anyone in the house today who actually enjoyed being stuck in a waiting room? Ever? No! Impossible. Nobody loves being stuck in a waiting room because that, they, they, have a, a, 
they have a decision that they made. I think it's written in the law of the Medes and Persians to kind of bring it back to Esther, that there can't be a comfortable chair in a waiting room. I mean, look at that. That does not look comfortable. Church pews think those things look uncomfortable, right? And, and I can barely see her, but there is somebody behind that computer. But do you ever wonder the people in a waiting room, if literally like they don't have any body, they're just like a disembodied head because they never w- do anything but just say, uh, they'll be with you as soon as possible. Is your insurance current? That'll be $150, please. Nothing else. Those are literally the only three. Could you give me a refund? That'll be $150, right? They don't ever say anything different. This is a waiting room. Nobody likes it. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a waiting room in your personal life? (laughs) They're not very fun either, are they? (laughs) And you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know what you're talking about with this waiting room in your personal life thing. Well, let me just pretend you actually asked that question. And we're going to go to this next slide. Here's what I mean. A waiting room is a situation where you can't change it, you can't leave it, and you have to just endure it. Now, all of us were put in a waiting room. I think it was about uh, March 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, somewhere in that neighborhood of 2020. It was COVID, and it was almost like the entire world just hit the pause button. You guys remember, right? It was a waiting room. We had no idea what we were going to be dealing with. Everything was the novel, this and the novel, that. And everything that we did not know was right in front of our faces. And so we were worried literally like, how much, you know, can this be spread via surfaces? How much of it is somebody sneezing on me, et cetera, you know, that kind of thing. And we just were on a pause. We were in a waiting room. For some, it was an extended and protracted waiting room because they had more concerns with their physical health. For others, it got over quicker, and that's the way that waiting rooms are. I mean, don't you hate it when you're in a waiting room longer than the person that shows up and they're like, oh, let me sign in. And they're like, yeah, the doctor will see you now. You stay right there, right? And we're like, what? You're kidding me. This should be like the the people at the restaurant who don't let anybody go in front of you, right? No. Well, in these kinds of waiting rooms, that's no fun because we've seen people go in, deal with a waiting room, and then move out quicker. And we're like, man, I'm still in my waiting room. I mean, what about a a season with your kids where you just can't seem to ever do anything right? I I know that not all of you are parents, but most of you, you you have a parent or you are a parent, and you've had that situation where you just can't seem to get on the same page with your kid. Or what about when you just can't seem to get on the same page with your spouse? Now, I know you guys are aware that every time Shelly and I can't get along, it's clearly Shelly. Can I get an amen on that? Just, yeah, no. Okay, no. Because it's not she needs to get right with God or Randy needs to get right with God. It's two Christian people who have different ways of doing things and you just can't get on the same page. And can I just tell you something? I talk about this a lot And the reason I talk about this a lot is because marriage is not easy. And it isn't even easy when you've got somebody who really loves the Lord married to someone else who really loves the Lord. It's hard. And so I tell you with all sincerity that there have been times in our marriage, which has now spanned 30 years and six months, sweet thing, right? 30 years and six months. And, oh, thank you. Somebody was like, yeah. You're clapping for her, and I get that. The woman is a saint. Here is the truth. The truth of the matter is is that there have been 
weeks and even months where we could barely seem to get on the same page. She'll tell you. I'll tell you. The reason I'm telling you is not because I want you to feel sorry for us. It's because I want you to grasp and understand that things are difficult and sometimes you're stuck in a waiting room. And it's not her fault. It's not my fault. It's just that we're in that place. What about the emotional or spiritual or physical valley that you've been through where you just can't get the emotions to get in line? You can't figure it out, but you're more emotional than you ever used to be. The things that used to bring you joy just simply don't. You can't figure it out. You're in a valley and you don't know how to fix it or change it. You realize that it's not the time to run away, but it is not also the way that you wish that it would be. You just have to wait. You're in a waiting room. Now, I don't know, but I have a feeling that I could probably get an amen that at least almost all of us have been in something like this in this kind of waiting room. Can I get an amen if you've been there before? Amen? Okay, I'm going to give you a better chance to do that. You know, like Pastor David says, can I get a better amen than that? <laughs> if you've ever been in a waiting room, can I get an amen? Yeah, we've been there. Let's not, let's not pretend. Let's not pretend that that's not true. That is a reality. So what do we do in a waiting room? And is a waiting room the worst thing in the history of the world? We're going to talk about that. But let's pick up where we ended last week with Esther's heroic words. Do you remember those words? She says, I'm going to go in and I'm going to stand before the king. And I'm going to go in there even though he did not summon me. And if I perish... I perish, then so be it. And so these are the words of Esther in this next slide here, the heroic words that we see. If I perish, I perish. This is where we leave her. This is where we pick up the story in Esther chapter five. But don't forget that Esther makes a choice and we talked a little bit about it last week. You can go back and listen again. But Esther chooses purpose over the present moment. And it's so important for us to grasp that if we're ever going to live a life of purpose, it's usually in conflict. And so let's go to this next slide as you see here. She's not about preservation for herself. She's about purpose for the Lord. The preservation says, well, what do I want to do? Purpose says, what should I do? Preservation says, what makes me happy now? Purpose says, what makes me proud in the long term? And see, this is the very crux of the matter with Esther. She doesn't go, what do I want to do? Do I want to go before the king and put my life on the line? And oh yeah, tell him also that that edict that's going to kill all the Jews, I'm one of them. Is that what I want to do? Of course the answer is no. That is not what I want to do. But what should I do? There's not another person here to speak up for the Jews. I alone am here. The preservation says, what makes me happy now? I'll tell you what makes me happy now. Let's throw another banquet. <laughs> let's have another banquet. Let's buy me a new royal robe. I mean, let's do something that I want to do. But no, she says instead, what makes me proud of the way that I acted in the long term? She steps up and lives a life of purpose. And stop for just a second. You've probably seen this a thousand times already in all these different messages that I've been preaching. Okay, maybe not a thousand, but a lot. It's Esther. She went from an orphan to the queen. Now we see her going from the queen to heroine. She is a hero from this point forward. 
Not because she won a beauty contest, but because she lived a life according to God's purpose. That's the difference. This is her talent being shown. Not a talent show, (laughs) but her talent her desire, her purpose being lived out. This is where she goes from a beauty queen to a heroine. This is where she goes from being a person who others go, isn't she pretty? To being incredible, incredible bravery, strength, and dignity under fire. It's a huge difference. You see it. You understand it. You've had that experience where you look at others and you have respect for them because they were not about self-preservation. They were about doing what was right and living on purpose. Very quickly, the something to learn. I've already mentioned it. So the something to learn here is that Esther put herself in death's crosshairs twice. She entered King Xerxes' throne room unsummoned, but she also is just about to reveal her heritage as a Jewish woman. That edict that cannot be changed says that every Jew will be killed on a certain day. It's a few months away. Now, very quickly, don't forget that the person that she is up against is the very one that she invited to the banquet. It's Haman. And before there was Hitler, there was Haman. He had this vendetta against the Jews. You can go back and listen to the Pride and Prejudice, part four of this sermon series. A great job by Eric. But don't forget that they had some things in their hands. And I just want to talk a little bit about those things that were in their hands. Here's a quick list as we look. Esther's possible audience with the king, nobody else had that. She alone did. She had kept silent on her Jewish heritage, but she was about to reveal it when it was the most impactful. Mordecai's exposure of the conspiracy, if you remember that part of the story in chapter 2, you can go back and look at that. Mordecai literally saves the life of the king, and yet the king signed into law not long after something that put all of his people at risk to be killed. Then Mordecai was never honored for the thing that he had done when he exposed that conspiracy. But in their hands that they do not forget is God's promise to protect his people. Now, very quickly, let me just remember, help you and I both remember something. Every time we're in a waiting room, that does not mean that the guy next to us is God. (laughs) You guys understand? When we're sitting there going, what are we doing here? The person that's not stuck in a waiting room is God, is God next to us. He's out there working on our behalf. He's bringing about something in us, something for us, and something through us every time we're stuck in a waiting room. Now, this is good news, but it is not easy to deal with because for most of us, what do we want more than anything else when we're found in a waiting room is to get out of said waiting room. But yet, God is at work. Esther does something amazing. She voluntarily puts herself in a waiting room. Now, follow me on this. Follow me on this. This is the big idea from part one. God never stops working for his plan, for his glory, and for our good. But follow me on this. Esther has already promised. She said, I am going to go before the king, get people to fast and pray. I'm going to get people to fast and pray. And on the third day, I'm going to go in there and be in front of the king unsummoned. And if I perish, I perish. She's already committed herself. But then she says, so between now and then, I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be fasting, but I'm also going to be stuck in a waiting room. 
Now, I don't know about you, but anybody who voluntarily puts themselves in a waiting room, I've got respect for that. I don't know about you. I I had this experience one time where we were jumping off cliffs. And yes, I was with cousins who I wanted to impress. So you know I'm not backing out. I'm not chickening out. We're up on a cliff. I look down and I'm like, that's a lot higher when you're right here than it is when you're looking up at it. And so my cousin says to me, he says, are you going first or am I going first? And I said, I'm going first. And he looked at me like, wow, look at you. You're brave. And I was like, no, I'm afraid I'm going to chicken out. If I watch you go, I'm sure I'm not going to. So I better go now before I lose all of the guts that I got. Have any of you ever had that experience? Man, I don't want to think about it too long. I'm going to do something brave. I better do it now. (laughs) If I'm going to say something brave, I want to do it now. Because I don't think I've got the real courage. I just think I'm kind of crazy right now. So Esther says, you pray and fast. I'm going to pray and fast. And we are going to go see the king on the third day. And for two days straight, I'm going to search for the Lord's face. But in the midst of it, just know at the end of that second day and into that third day, I'm going to go see the king. Wow. That's a waiting room she voluntarily put herself in. Now, I just want to share something with you. There's a verse of scripture that you might or might not know very well. It's one that's pretty important around here. And so I'm going to go to this next slide, and it's got a mini-movie on there. So let's check out this mini-movie real quickly before we keep going. So this brings us from this passage of scripture to Isaiah chapter 40, our theme verse around here. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope or wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar with wings like eagles, Eagle Heights Church. They will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not be faint. So this is three promises that they will have renewed strength, that they will have a different perspective, and that they will have a perseverance to keep going in the things that they know to be right or wrong. This is from Isaiah chapter 40. And as she puts herself in this waiting room, this is what she's putting herself under. God, whatever plans I can make without you, they will be nothing. 
Whatever decisions I make, I want them all to be led by you. I want your perspective on this and how I should handle this entire situation. This is so important. She puts herself in the waiting room, not because she's scared, not because she lacks courage, but instead because she realizes that God needs to be a part of this important, important time. And she's going to seek and wait on the Lord. So let's go to this next slide. We see here today's big idea. We never waste our time when we wait on God's leading. We never waste our time when we wait on God's leading. Would you guys say that out loud with me? We never waste our time when we wait on God's leading. This is true. And in your life, if you find yourself in a waiting room today, can I just tell you, man, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and say, God, I don't know how long I will be here in this waiting room. But here's what I know. You have me here for a purpose. And you also have a way for me to leave this place. But I will stay until you reveal your timing. All right, so as we move forward, I want to show you that Esther is steadfastly dependent on the divine providence. She is not in a big hurry. In this passage of scripture, you can see that Esther goes before the king and here is his response. Let's read what he says. Let's go to this next slide from Esther chapter five, verse two and three. When he, that's the king, saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. That was the thing that saved her life. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And I just love this. Now, ladies, I don't know how y'all do it, but there's something about y'all. <laughs> I mean, when I read this, I'm like, man, <laughs> I could just see the king go, girl, come on over here. And she walks over and she's like, how you doing? Now, that's not the King James Version. Just understand. But there was something going on. If you remember from last week, there were 30 days that went in between. We don't know why. He, wasn't, he hadn't called her in, but he clearly hadn't lost anything for her. And I don't know, ladies, y'all have something about you that you have that we just don't. I mean, if, if a guy went over and said, hey, and they'd be like, what? Esther goes over, hey, and he's like, oh, hello, Esther, I've missed you. Like I said, not the King James, but read it. So he goes over and he says, what is it that you want? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. I'll give you anything that you're asking for. So stop. Esther puts herself in a waiting room and it feels like the door is thrown open to her. Right? He just said, whatever you want from me, I'll give it to you up to half the kingdom. And Esther says, I'll tell you what I want. I want you and Haman to come to a banquet today. Let's go to this next slide here. <clears throat> and just notice that Esther is speaking the king's language. Y'all remember banquets are his thing. So are beauties, you know? So he, she is speaking his language. He says, yeah, I'll come wherever you want. <laughs> as long as you're there. And then... She leaves room for God's leading in a moment where it was easy, so easy to be over anxious. Up to half the kingdom, well, I'll tell you exactly what I want. 
But that's not what she did. That's not what she said. She said, just come to a banquet. We'll talk about it. He's like, ooh, I like that. Mainly, I just like you, but I like that. And do you notice that she was wise but not wasteful? If you know the rest of the story that we're going to talk about today, she tells him later at the banquet, I want you to come to one more banquet tomorrow. And she's wise because something is going to happen, and I'm not going to spoil the story. If you have not read or heard this story, I'm not going to spoil it, but be here next week. The twist of all plot twists is coming, so it's so good. All right, let's go to this next slide. You notice all these things about Esther. Don't miss this. Xerxes clearly sees that Esther has a very important thing on her mind because she's risking her life to come into his throne uninvited, and he is absolutely in suspense. She's got him eating out of the palm of her hand. How do I know this? Because look at this next slide. This is what he says to her again. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Twice now, he said, Tell me what you want. I'll give it to you. And then she's like, well, just come to a banquet. And then she's like, hey, tell me what you want. I'll give it to you. And she says, come back again tomorrow. I've got another banquet for you. And I promise you, I'm not going to keep wasting your time, but I will tell you at the next banquet that we have tomorrow. Let's go to the next slide here. Esther replies, my petition and my request is this, that the king regards me with favor. If it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them, and then I will answer the king's question. She's willingly putting herself in the waiting room one more night when she already had the promise. Now, here's what I would share with you. Let's go to this next slide very quickly. Do y'all know how much this guy makes every year? $30 million. This is Justin Verlander, one of the guys who helped us win the World Series. I love this dude. And I'm here to tell you that I too can throw a baseball. I too can throw a baseball. I can get on the pitcher's mound at 60 foot and 6 inches and take the same exact ball that Justin Verlander takes and I can throw it towards home plate as well. Do you know why they wouldn't pay me $30, much less $30 million a year? Because it's all about delivery, isn't it? It is all about delivery. I don't know that I could get it to the 60 foot 6 inches. I played football and a few other things, but nothing having to do with the ball. I was too afraid. Y'all pray for me. I've got issues, right? So here's the deal. It's all about delivery. And what is going on? God is at work. And Esther says, just come back tomorrow. I promise I'm going to tell you exactly what I need from you tomorrow. And God is at work. And then when she says it, the delivery is perfect. The ground that receives the thing that she says is absolutely cultivated to perfection. It's God totally at work in every piece and part. The delivery is just right on time. And it hits with absolute force. It's amazing. And it's all because Esther says, I'm not doing this alone. 
I'm depending on God. You pray and fast. I'll pray and fast. You get everybody that you can find. I'm going to get everybody that I can find. And when I stand before the king, if I die, I die. But let's pray. And can I just be real clear about something? Man, y'all stop praying spiritual prayers. Don't sit there and go, Lord, just have your will. You know what Esther was doing? Lord, I do not want to die. I'm scared to death. And not only do I not want to die, I need to have the courage to speak up for people who can't speak up for themselves. God, do something in me that gives me a way to stand before the man who holds my life in his hands and do so with dignity and present myself, deliver my message in such a way that brings glory and honor to you. That's God. That's divine dependence, and there's a big difference there. What waiting brings is a quiet strength and dignity, a sense of peace. Remember, we talked about a supernatural renewed strength from Isaiah passage, and then a chance for an opposing person or an opposing view to be revealed for what they truly are. Isn't it interesting? The king is about to get a brand new perspective on who the Jewish people are and who Haman really is underneath all the pomp and circumstance. And it's going to be awesome. Be here next week. All right, let's go to this next slide. So what do we need to learn? The medial Persian Empire's form of capital punishment was to impale a person on a pole. In other words, when it says go and build a gallows, maybe your book, your Bible says the gallows. Those gallows are not for the hanging. They're for basically just a, a pole and they would impale the body of their enemy. He says go out and build it 50 cubits high. That's 75 foot high. If you don't know how tall 75 foot high is, it's basically seven stories high. Man, Haman's got issues, right? I mean, he's like, everybody's going to see this guy that won't bow down to me. Everybody. 70 foot high. Because I guess 70 would have been too short and 80 would have just been a little overkill, right? Here's the deal. Haman is convinced he's about to have an amazing thing happen. Very quickly, what else does waiting bring? Let's talk about it very quickly. The next one, King Xerxes is reminded of his love for Esther. I believe with all my heart that he hadn't thought of Esther and just kind of let it drift. But when she shows back up, he says, man, there's just something about that woman. I can't put it into words, but there's just something different about her. And he starts thinking, man, whatever she asks, it's Esther. She's going to get it. And then a gallows has time to be built for Mordecai. <laughs> Haman, at the end of that passage that Eric read, said, go out and erect that pole. Get it ready. It's going to happen. Mordecai is going to be on that pole tomorrow. And then Xerxes is insomnia. And this story's amazing plot twist is coming next week. Be here. All right, let's skip to this next slide. Very quickly, Esther is in that place for five plus years before she's called to act heroically on behalf of the Jewish nation. We talked about this last week. You can go back and look and listen to more if you don't understand. But just know this. If God was setting something in motion five full years ago, don't you know he's ready to act while you're in the waiting room in the perfect time? In the perfect time. Not a minute before, not a minute after. He's ready to act in the perfect time. Very quickly, we often forget something that we need to make sure and remember. Things rarely change in a single moment, 
But things that we believe that are unrelated start coming together in unforeseen ways and they click and fit and everything falls into place. We realize that's God doing God things the way only God can do them. Can I get an amen? I mean, that is God. Very quickly, I want to move to the I apply by, and here is what I see. What God has done in your life to prepare you for such a time as this, I don't know what that might be, but I do know that he has done that. You know how I know? Because God is that way. He doesn't save us from our sins when we ask for him to come in and be our Lord and Savior. He doesn't take us out of the life of sin that we had so he can go, cool, now you're good. Feeling good? Acting good? Right on. He changes us and he takes even those things that put us against him and in the enemy's way that he was trying to destroy us. God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to take you right out of this and I'm going to bring you into a place where even those things that used to keep you captive are now your way of being a blessing to someone else. It is an amazing thing that God does. And if God has already done that for us, we need to get involved. We need to take one single step towards making good on what he's done. Maybe that's using your talents. Maybe that's maximizing a relationship. Maybe that's something that's going on in your financial world or something that you've experienced that you can speak to in someone else's experience. These are the ways that you and I have been called for such a time as this. Now, very quickly, here is a big question that I want to ask as we draw this to a close. Is there an area of your own life where you feel like you're in a waiting room? And are you praying in that waiting room as if God has forgotten you or as if God is fervently at work for you? Because here's the problem for most of us. As we sit in the waiting room going, when am I getting out? And we're growing more and more and more frustrated. God is still at work, but we have forgotten oftentimes that he's at work. And so if we get to the place where we think, you know what, God's forgotten me. He forgot and left me in this waiting room. Here's what I would share with you. God has not forgotten you. God knows exactly where you are. It is so important that we understand that God is at work fervently for us and for our good and for the things in our own world that we need to see change. It has to begin, but we need to realize that God has us in a waiting room for a specific reason. All right. Now I'm going to close with this. And here is uh, uh, something that actually Shelly and I have been watching and kind of seeing online. So have any of you guys watched by chance this documentary? Any of y'all at all watched the I Sniper? Do you guys remember the DC Sniper case that was going on in 2002? So these two men, the one here on the right, John Allen Muhammad, and the one on the left, Lee Malvo, who was about 16 or 17 years old, in October of 2002, they went on a rampage in the D.C. and Baltimore and Virginia area. This is called iSniper. It's put out by Vice Network. And I'm not saying that's the best network that you've ever watched. Don't get me wrong, all right? But I saw this on the guide and I was like, you know, I've heard about it, but I didn't really know much about it. So I recorded it and I was able to watch. It's an eight-episode documentary series. And the entire documentary is all about John Muhammad 
basically coming to this young man that didn't have a father and becoming a father figure to him and manipulating him to create this havoc going on in the D.C. area. It's all about that. And there ended up being 10 dead in D.C. alone and three others seriously and critically wounded because Lee Malvo, the 16, and when he was shooting, it was 17-year-old. The 17-year-old was actually doing all of the shooting in this sniper case, which is crazy because John Mohammed actually had served in the military here in the United States. He knew how to use a rifle, but he manipulated and twisted things around in this young man's life, this young man who needed somebody to pull him out of the darkness. Instead, this man pulled him into more. It's a really, really tragic story, but it is so interesting there's another slide that I want to slide to on this next one. This woman's name is Carmetta Alvarez, and she was working in conjunction with the FBI. This story goes into Lee Malvo's, kind of his upbringing, and the entire documentary is in his words. That's part of why it's so compelling. But here is one of the most compelling things, and it brought tears to my eyes as I watched it. It's in the eighth and final episode. This woman Carmetta Alvarez goes to Jamaica and looks and finds his family and says, come, help us. We want to try to get Lee away from John's influence and all of the things that he's doing that just continue to follow every single thing that's been prescribed for him by this crazy guy. We need somebody to help us pull him away from that. In the thing that I cannot fathom or understand, everything changes when Carmetta Alvarez finds one of Lee Malvo's aunts and takes a video camera and there's nothing special about it. It's not even an HD. It's grainy. It's nothing really. There's zero production value. The woman's just sitting there and she's sitting, I think, in her church and Carmetta says, do you have something that you want to say to your nephew? And she says, I don't really have any words. All I have is a song. And now I want to say this, and hopefully you understand. I'm not in any way trying to disparage this woman. But she is not Aretha Franklin, nor is she Carrie Underwood. She's just... Super normal voice, just a normal voice. And the video quality is not good. And as they take that picture, she begins to sing. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Now you see that I don't have that good of a voice either. But she sings all of the verses and all of the chorus. And they take it to Lee Malvo, who is in solitary confinement in Virginia, in a state prison, waiting whether or not he will be tried for his life or not. Nobody's said a word. Nobody's broken ranks. Nobody has been able to turn this young man who'd been manipulated for years away from that manipulating person. They show him the video and everything changes. 
Not because the woman had an incredible voice. Not because it was a music video. Not because it was anything other than it was the perfect words at the perfect time. God allowing exactly what he needed to land at the exact moment he needed it. You guys with me? You understand? She sings this song and they are listening down the hall as Lee Malvo starts singing the song very, very low. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. He remembers. There's a young man who had been raised in church and turned his back on church. He starts singing the song. And by the end of the song, when she is singing, he is singing with his entire voice and his whole heart. And he changes his strategy because he begins to see it differently. And it all happens. Here's what's so incredible. In his own words, he says, it was like I had been trapped in a dark room. And that video was like somebody lit a match. It's God's people doing whatever God leads them to do, even if it doesn't fully make sense. And yet, it accomplishes God's purposes in his world. It's an amazing thing when we as his people show divine dependence on him. It's amazing. And you're gonna see even more next week. Heavenly Father, I don't know who today finds themselves in a waiting room. But I know, Lord, that you are with us. You're not sitting there on a chair going, I wonder when we're getting out. You are at work for us. We, as your children, want to go back to the place where we reaffirm that if you're doing something in our life, we know that you're already doing something out there in response to those things that are happening for us. We know that you are faithful. We know that you are God. We know that you have a plan. We know that you partner with your people, not because of our perfection, but because of your grace. And so we, as your people, we want to live our life on purpose and for the right reasons and for the right things. And Lord, so many of us for so long have been kind of in a waiting room whether it's just these things that are going on with COVID, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a relationship, I don't know. But I do know these things, God. You're at work. You're at work in us. You're at work for us. And you're going to be at work through us if we will commit ourselves to you. God, have your way in our lives. And God, right now, just for a moment, there's some who are lifting their hand as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, there are some that are lifting their hand and saying, in the waiting room, doesn't matter because I know that God is at work for me. Some of you know God is at work for you. You need to be reminded today, but God is at work for you. And God is able to do all things. God is able to bring graves into gardens.